Um, in a short and seven-game season, do you believe that a Pac-12 team has a realistic shot at getting into the college football playoff? Uh, I think it depends, man. I think a lot of the time when we're looking at this, since teams got an earlier start, uh, maybe the schedules are a little different in regards to you know SEC, Pac-12, you know Big Ten. I think an undefeated Pac-12 team will definitely have a chance, but I think that will be the only way is if you get somebody like an Oregon maybe a Utah, a UW, whoever it may be in the Pac-12, that can stay undefeated. And especially with the shortened season, seven games for, you know, uh, the conference, it's going to be hard because that's kind of a gauntlet. There is no warm-up games. Every game means much more than it would last season. So um, long story short, man, I would say the only way that we're probably going to see a Pac-12 team make the college football playoffs if if they're undefeated and, you know, throughout conference play. Okay, so do you think that just being undefeated would be enough, or do you need to see someone be dominant? Do you need to see them look how a Clemson or Alabama look in their respective conferences? Do you, they need to be – so it can't be a kind of a an escape 7-0 or something like that. Say they have a bunch of close games. Do they need to have those games where they, they pretty much – so like you said, in Oregon or Washington, do they have to be – do they have to dominant run through the conference, pretty much? They have to be dominant. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think they have to be dominant, to be honest with you, because 7-0 and was 7-0. Anyone who's played college football and follows college football should know going undefeated is a very hard thing to do. Right. Especially in conference. And for guys like, you know, the SEC who don't play as many conference games, this might be a little different for them. But for a team like the Pac, any team in the Pac-12 that, you know, could potentially go undefeated – this is nothing new. This is something that they're used to because the Pac-12 is used to playing more conference games, and so at least compared to the SEC. So when you look at these things and you look at, you know, a win is a win at the end of the day. It might not be a pretty one, but you look in the past, for the, especially the past couple seasons, and a lot of the times what happens to these either number one, number two, number three, you can go down the list in the top five teams, they escape games, and there are certainly games where you should not lose but it's a close game, you know, like when, with Clemson and Pittsburgh for the past couple of seasons, um, you know, Ohio State and Purdue or Ohio State and Iowa a couple of seasons ago as well. Like those those are teams and those are games. The right team should win by a lot, but they don't. And that's where it's just, it's called football. Anything can happen. I mean, I know, what, two decades ago or a decade ago, we saw Appalachian State go to the big house and knock off Michigan. So those are the kind of things where it's like, man, it's college football. Anything can happen. If a team stays undefeated, they should go. It does not matter if it's by three points or by 50. If you can stay undefeated and get through an entire conference schedule, especially in seven games now, then, yeah, you should at least have a seat at the table in the college football playoffs because I can guarantee you there's not going to be that as many teams that are undefeated. Okay. So speaking of Oregon, they had a lot of opt-outs. Javon Holland, Thomas Graham, Brady Breeze, Suell. They also lose Justin Herbert, a quarterback, and Troy Dye, the leader of their defense. What are your expectations for them going into the season? Well, with the way that Mario Cristobal has been recruiting, I have no doubt in my mind that Oregon is not even going to really take a step backwards. You know, you lose. We arguably missed out on the best defense in Oregon history, no question, with some of the guys that they had. Obviously, you lose. Uh, lineman who was probably the only guy who could win the Heisman as an offensive lineman in Panay Sewell, but Oregon is always reloaded. They've always found ways to make it work. Mario Cristobal is a great recruiter. He's a great coach. The staff is phenomenal. 
those guys can reload and they will be ready. I mean, the biggest thing with Mario Cristobal and the staff has been, okay, we're going to be the more aggressive team. We're going to set the tone defensively, and then the offense can eventually find its way through. And that's kind of what we saw in the last couple seasons where the defense has been spectacular. And then there's always been some question around maybe the play calling or Justin Herbert's ability, you know, who's that main receiver, things like that. But at the end of the day, what has been the one thing that I would say has been consistent, and that's been the defense. So even though they've had a lot of guys opt out, and as of recently, I think it was two days ago, some guys opted back in. Thomas Graham Jr. was one of those guys who decided to maybe opt back in. I think that, you know, we're going to see more guys maybe hop back in if you if you don't have a high draft grade. For someone like Panay Sewell, yeah, you're going to leave because you're a top five pick regardless. Mm-hmm. But maybe somebody like a Thomas Graham who could drop down to a fourth, fifth, or even six-round guy, maybe even go undrafted, who knows, right? Because you never really know. He could Instead, he was like, all right, I want to take another season, get some more film, show them what I can do, and at the end of the day, worst comes to worst, I get to play another college football season, and I can do numbers. And I think that's what a lot of these guys are starting to contemplate right now. But even if all those guys decide to leave permanently and get agents and not be able to come back to college football, I still think Oregon is going to be fine. They still have plenty of guys um, on the roster that are big-time recruits, big-time players. I mean, you get some guys out of high school where you look at him and you're like, that does not look like a high schooler. He looks like a guy who can play in the NFL right now. And then, again, you have someone like a Kayvon Thibodeau who is arguably the best player in the entire, you know, the entire conference on defense. So I think in regards to Oregon being reloaded, I think they will. Maybe not as – they won't do as great as we thought they would because, again, like I said, this would have been the best defense I think Oregon has ever had. But just to put it in retrospect that they're still going to be good. They still have talent. I have no doubt in my mind that Oregon can come back and be reloaded. Okay. Do you have a sleeper team in the Pac-12 this year? You know, it wouldn't be considered a sleeper because I think a lot of people have picked them to be really good. But I don't think people understand how good they could be, and that's Cal. Cal is returning, you know, uh, Chase Garbers at quarterback. Justin Wilcox is a phenomenal coach. The talent is there. They return Chris Brown at running back. Offensive line is looking pretty solid. Defense, they lose Evan Weaver. They're really talented and the best tackler in the entire nation the past couple seasons. But regardless, Cal is a very good coach team, and they have a ton of talent. Maybe it's not the big talent, big name talent that you'll see at you know Oregon or Washington or USC, but those guys know how to play ball. And I think that they're, they're well-coached enough that they can make a serious uh they can have a stamp in the conference. And that's something that when you look at the schedule before all the COVID-19 stuff broke out, people were projecting Cal to go to only lose one game, maybe one game. They had them winning the North. Some people had them winning the North. So as much as Oregon is talented, Oregon State is on the rise. They beat Cal last season. But you see all these pieces that they get back. And the last time that Oregon and Cal played last season, Cal didn't even have their starting quarterback. And they almost still beat Oregon. Mm-hmm. So imagine if they would have had their starting quarterback, right? Those are the things that we have to take into consideration. You don't lose a lot of guys. You do lose your best tackle on defense. But I think talent-wise, Cal has enough guys that they can at least be almost as good as they were defensively. And then offensively, if Chase Garbers can take another step like he has these past couple seasons, I can see Cal making a serious, serious leap and you know potentially being a top-two team in the conference. Okay. So... I believe that USC is going to win the South, and I think that they're the best team in the Pac-12. 
just based on everything yeah. that they bring back. What do you what are your expectations for them going into this year? What do you what do you make of it? I definitely think it depends on how USC responds in, in coaching wise. I mean, <laughs> the the coaching around USC has kind of been in question with the past couple of years. I'm I'm sure a lot of people have wanted some change, but if there's one thing that stays consistent is that USC gets damn good athletes. So the more good athletes that they can get, obviously sometimes you just have to put guys in the right position to make the play. Right, so if you got a speedy guy, what do you do with speedy guys? You put them on the outside and let them go. Give them the ball in open field, let them make a play. Right, and I think USC, as maybe bad as they get, that it seems like they are coached at times, and maybe it seems like they make some bonehead decisions every year and there. You can't, you can never question the talent at USC because, besides Oregon, or even maybe more than Oregon, they might be the most talented roster. But it's what are you going to do with the coaching? I expect USC definitely to win the South, no question. Um, you know, I think they're going to do that over Utah. So, um, again, I can see USC, man, taking the South with, I don't want to say extremely easy, but maybe one step under extremely easy. Okay. Um, let's go to the Big 12. So, Oklahoma's gotten off to a less than stellar start. They're one and two. Mm-hmm. What is your, what do you believe that is the problem right now besides their defense? Mm-hmm. Like I was saying earlier, anything can happen in college football. And if you don't go into, especially with everything that's happened, with there's no warm-up games, I should say, and preseason games, you know, usually you'll see teams like Oklahoma, you know, Alabama play like the Citadel, Oklahoma will play, you know, Oklahoma AT&T or whoever, right? And these teams that are, you know, not very great teams, You'll see them play those guys just to kind of warm up and get into a rhythm, find, especially with a new quarterback like Spencer Rattler, get the guys comfortable at being a college football player and knock off the rust. But now you're jumping straight into, hey, every single game matters. And I think what Oklahoma always does is they respond well later in the season, but they don't have that now. you got to jump straight into, all right, man, well, you're playing, you know, you're playing Oklahoma State, you're playing – um, a, B, and C, Iowa State, all these guys who they're going to come for you because you're a ranked opponent. And if you don't knock off the rust, you have to play a sharp game or you're going to get upset. And I think that's the one thing that Oklahoma has not done is responded well to the fact of the college football season just looks different now. It's not the same that you're used to. The veterans on the team haven't responded well. Obviously, having a new quarterback doesn't make it easy. And then you can kind of see that in the late-game situations. There was two times Oklahoma had a chance to win the game late you know, late in the game, but what happened is you have a you know, you have a young quarterback who's never really been in a position like that before. You're putting a lot of pressure on him. He hasn't had those you know, those experiences, those snaps under center as much as you would like. And he just makes decisions, man. He just made the wrong one and, and they resulted in losses. So Oklahoma is still a very great team. They have a, a ton of guys who are gonna be playing on Sundays, but again, the college football season is a lot different than what we're used to and I don't think Oklahoma has responded well to that. Right. Everything that you said about Oklahoma is was my initial reaction when I watched LSU. They look like a team that had lost 14 guys to the NFL, and they're one of those teams that would have benefited from you know one of those cupcake games because mm-hmm. they and they look like a team that didn't have a spring, a limited fall camp, and everything that you said. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, man. That's just you know that's just how it is, and college football is such a game of. of momentum and hype and going around and, and seeing how much it's different now 
know, you got to be your own hype man. Your teammates are your own hype guys, right? It's just different. It's just like the NBA bubble where plenty of teams have said, even though guys don't think it's a real thing and you shouldn't complain about that, it's hard, man, to go out and play in front of nobody. It's hard to go play with no fans or very limited fans. You don't get that college football hype. I think teams like Oklahoma, LSU feed so much off of their crowd because their crowds are insane, right? Those are the kind of things that just makes college football so great. But if you don't have that, guys are going to have to adjust. So, like I said, those vets on the team, they have to adjust to that. They're used to being, you know, an LSU team with 100,000 people in the stands. But now you don't Now you don't have that. Now you've got to hype yourself up. you got to have your teammates hype you up. And, again, they lost a lot of guys in the NFL. How are you going to adjust? I think a lot of these teams who have targets on their back because they're some of the top teams in the country aren't prepared for the changes that happen in college football. When other guys, like Iowa State, for a good example, when they beat Oklahoma last week, is they had nothing to lose, man. You know, we're, we're playing the you know top five team in the country. What do we have to lose? If we lose, then we lose. But if not, then here we go. You know, we upset the we upset the Sooners. Right. So I think a lot of things that we have to take in consideration is how much different this college football season is, and how much our guys adjusting to it. Are they doing a good job like some of the teams we've seen, or are they doing a bad job like some of these? You know higher profile teams who just haven't been able to adjust yeah um i have to get your prediction on oklahoma texas this weekend so oklahoma mm-hmm. obviously isn't ranked for texas and tom herman you have sam ellinger who's been the starter for the past four years these are tom herman's recruiting classes and they have all these four and five stars on the roster and this is the year that they have to get it done mm-hmm. yeah and they definitely do because I think I think at this point Tom Herman kind of has some explaining to do. There's no way you should be losing some of the games that he's lost, and I think Texas hasn't done a great job of. And how many? I mean, how often do we hear Texas is back? You know what I'm saying? It's like if Texas is back, I don't want I don't want to hear someone say that. I want to see it. I want to see Texas knock off you know like an LSU like they could have last season. I wanted to see that. That would start to convince me. Okay. Texas might be back. Maybe Tom Herman is the right guy for the job. But in general, with that game, I'm going to have to go with Texas. And I really think because Oklahoma has not adjusted well. And as much as Texas has been a little underwhelming in my opinion, I really don't think that Oklahoma has been any better. And quite frankly, I think Oklahoma has been a little worse. Again, they have really good players, but man, if you're able to adjust, then you can. If you can make those right plays and you can have the right reach as someone like Spencer Radler could, then you're going to win the football game. But instead, you have Sam Ellinger, who is, for Texas, he's been, I mean, he's been making the plays. He's a great quarterback. He can, you know, he can run, he can throw. He just, he draws a lot of attention from the defense. So it's going to stress a lot of guys out compared to Spencer Radler, where he's the young guy. So if you're a defensive coordinator for Texas, what are you going to do? Okay, well, I'm going to send a ton of pressure at this guy because I've seen the mistakes he's made the past two weeks. I've seen that if he's under pressure, he does not have the poise in the pocket. Again, when you have great athletes, much like we see with Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, is once Patrick Mahomes gets under pressure, this man can escape the pocket, you know, throw off his back foot as far as he can, and you get a guy like you know Tyreek Hill, who's the fastest guy on the field, no one's going to catch him. And so, yeah, he's going to go out and make the big play. But instead, you know, you don't have that for Spencer Rabbit because, again, it's a lot different in college football than it is in the NFL. So, um, I know that was a very long-winded answer, but I think I'm going to have to go with Texas, my man. And I think it's Texas by two or three touchdowns. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I think Texas is going to come out. They're going to play. Uh, they're going to respond well. 
And I, I just don't think Oklahoma has it like they used to. So um, at least this season, get some more experience, and I think those guys will do a lot better maybe in the next season. But as of right now, I don't think I don't think Oklahoma can can match up well with Texas. Okay. So speaking of teams that we always talk that are back, let's go to the ACC, Miami. So they're ranked in the top ten, and they'll play Clemson this weekend, the third time that they're featured on College Game Day. Do you believe that they are a legit contender in the ACC? Uh, that's a tough one, man, because when you have a team like Clemson that you know you have to play, that's going to get it's going to be hard to to overcome. I mean, Clemson has been one of, if not the best team in college football for the past three or four seasons now. So, how are you going to respond to when you when you match up against you know Clemson? Can Miami do it? I don't know. I think Eric King has done a great job at quarterback for him. I think he is kind of that missing piece that they had. But I don't know if I don't know if Miami can be can win the ACC because again, Clemson is there. They are the dominant guy. If you can knock off Clemson, by all means, that that is your title. You know that is your team or that is your conference. But until someone can knock off Clemson, man, it's too hard for me to bet against them. Dabo Swimmy has done a great job with, with building Clemson to a powerhouse, and I don't see them slowing down anytime soon. Okay. So let's go back to the SEC. Georgia, they have – so at quarterback, they've had uh, Dewan Mathis, and then Stetson Bennett comes in, and then they still have JT Daniels on the roster. Is this Stetson Bennett's team until he loses it, or do you make the switch to JT Daniels because you feel confident in his ability over Stetson Bennett? Uh, I think uh, I think you should give JT Daniels a, a shot. We know what JT Daniels can do, especially when he's at USC. He was a great quarterback before his injury. You know the kid has talent. You might as well send him out there to um, give him a shot, man. I mean, the quarterback play has kind of been in question as of lately, so... Um, I definitely think you need to get JT Daniels out there and at least see. You have nothing else to lose at this point. You know what I'm saying? You might as well give the give the guy a chance. You know what he can do. He was the one of the, if not the best quarterback when he was in the conference in the Pac-12. So I definitely think you got to give him a shot and see what he can do against some SEC opponents. Okay, uh, Florida or Georgia in the SEC East? Oh man, I'm gonna have to go with Florida. Okay. I like what uh, Kyle Trask and Brandon will do. I think. On all levels, Florida is extremely dangerous on, you know, not just offense, not just defense, but special teams. They've had some great special teams play. So I think Florida takes that. Okay. Um, let's go to the NFL. So you've had plenty. You've seen Justin Herbert a lot. He's gotten off to this hot start to begin his career. He's accurate. He looks comfortable in the pocket. The stage hasn't been too big for him. Are you surprised to see him look this good this early? Uh, yeah, to be honest with you, um, I, this is this is coming from a guy who played against Justin Herbert. You know, I got to play him three, three times, two times, something like that. I can't remember. I'm getting old, but um, going up against him, you know, he was he always had the talent. I think he might have kind of seemed like he had a leash a little bit. You know, he wasn't. I don't think Oregon bought out his full potential, but now San Diego or San Diego, excuse me, now the LA Chargers are just letting him go. You know, they're letting him do his thing. Um, you know, again, he's a guy who has a ton of confidence. He's grown extremely well every single week. He seems extremely poised in the pocket, especially under pressure. Again, like I was saying, this is a rookie in the NFL, and guys know, okay, 
a rookie. He doesn't know as much as a vet. So let's bring pressure. Let's see how much he knows. Let's see how what his poise is. Let's see if he's going to make those bad decisions when he's under pressure. And he's responded extremely well. I mean, just again, just last week against Tampa Bay, we saw what he could do under pressure. I mean, he had those two extremely long touchdown passes where, man, they thought, you know, what, what the Chargers did was max protecting. You knew that Tampa Bay was bringing some pressure, trying to get to him and make him uncomfortable and make him make a bad decision. Instead, he stayed poised in the pocket. He delivered a great ball knowing he was going to get hit. And, man, just if he could keep doing that every week, I don't see why the Chargers would ever go back to Tyrod Taylor. He right. 100% stay with Justin Herbert. Okay. Um, uh, how surprised, well, not surprised, how impressed are you with Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers to begin the season? Mm-hmm. Well, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, actually, both these guys are, are, are some guys that I don't understand why in a way, we should be surprised at what they're doing. They've done this for how long now and how consistently. Aaron Rodgers has had one of the best arms in the NFL for a very long time. Russell Wilson is the most underrated guy I've ever seen at, at in the NFL. I mean, this is a guy who does every single thing you would want a quarterback to do, and he has led a franchise. He's led the Seahawks to the Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl for him. I mean, he can do it all. He can throw, he can pass. He's a great leader, great guy off the field and on the field. And more importantly, this guy is a quarterback who's not received one MVP vote in his entire career. I mean, which is just insane. In his first three games, I think they said he had 14 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Something that's, I mean, that's just insane. You know, those are insane numbers. And so it's not, it, it's not surprising to me at all what these guys are doing. I think it's more surprising to me that people are just now starting to catch on because you go back and you watch the film from the past couple seasons, these are the things that these guys have done throughout their whole career, and now people want to look at them and be like, man, I didn't know Aaron Rodgers was that good, or look how good Russell Wilson has been. So it's been a little frustrating to see the disrespect that those guys get, but, man, I'm not surprised at all because I already knew that they could do this. Okay, yeah. I I believe that Russell Wilson will go down as a top-ten quarterback all time. That's mm-hmm. that's no the question. level that he's at. Mm-hmm. No question. He's he, His level of play has been consistent, and not just consistent, but it's been great throughout his whole career. I can guarantee you go look at his worst season, and it's probably not even that bad. But it's just the fact that he does it all, running, passing, and again, he's just the true leader that you would want to lead a franchise. Okay. Um, I have to get your input. So today Washington announced that Dwayne Haskins has been benched. Kyle Allen will start. He's... They have him as a third listed as a third string quarterback. They even had Steven Montez taking reps ahead of him in practice today. Was it fair for them to bench him at this point in his career, where technically he hasn't even played a full sixteen games? Mm-hmm. I don't think it is at all. I think more importantly, you have to look at what happened, what the situation is. This kid has had two different head coaches. That which every time you switch head coaches, every time you get injured. Whatever it is, not only do you have to get back injury-wise, but when you switch coaching staffs and coaches, you've got to have a whole new philosophy. They maybe make you read something a little different. I mean, it's no excuse. I mean, let's let's not let's not kid ourselves. He hasn't been great, but by no means has he been a, a horrible quarterback. I mean, you also have to look. Do they give him the weapons? Are they making the right play calls? Are they putting him in a position to be successful? Or are you kind of just throwing him out to the wolves and say, hopefully he can survive? And uh, to me, that's kind of been what they, what it has been for Washington is 
they haven't put a, a lot of great weapons around him. They have a great defensive line, but that's the offense, obviously. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, what are you doing at the running back? Are you running the ball enough to open up the pass game? Are you putting the receivers in good positions? And, and are you getting the receivers that can get open? Or are you just you know getting mediocre guys across the board? Like, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? So you have to... Uh, you have to put in consideration of what this kid has been through. And then at the end of the day, though, when you're the quarterback, what's going to happen? No matter what. A good example, Dak Prescott last week um, threw for 504 yards and four touchdowns. And who do people blame when the Cowboys lose? Is Dak. You know, if you're the quarterback, you're, gonna, you're the face of the franchise, and you're going to get the blame. So obviously Washington hasn't been that great for quite some time. So who are they going to put it on? The quarterback. You know what I'm saying? So it, I don't think it was fair, and I think they'll give him another shot at the end of the season when they realize, okay, we might have made a bad decision. Right. Yeah, I I agree with you. One of the reasons why I think it was very unfair when I look at the Dwayne Haskins situation is that it is similar to the Sam Darnold situation where mm-hmm. he doesn't have a lot around him, and the they show they like they throw it all on him every single Sunday, but we continue mm-hmm. to give Sam more and more opportunities when. Realistically, he has regressed this year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. do you? Is it time for the Jets to move off of Sam Darnold? No, absolutely not. Same thing with Dwayne Haskins. They, they, when I watched the Jets the other night play, I was almost in shock about how much it seemed like they were trying to get this man killed. They did not give him any help. The play calls that they have are absolutely terrible. Like what? Like you know, what are these guys doing? They said some stat that I think his average yards per pass was like four yards. What does that tell me is that this guy doesn't have an offensive line. He doesn't trust his offensive line or his receivers. I mean, but can you blame him? This guy gets crushed every single play. You know what I'm saying? So he's like, yeah, I'm going to throw a dump off pass because I'm tired of getting crushed every single time I drop back in the pocket. Well, on top of that, you guys are calling horrible plays. What am I supposed to do? You don't give me any help. Where's the talent? Who's taking the pressure off me? You know, where can I find someone else that can make a play instead of me having to scramble around the pocket, you know, step on four defenders and run a 40-yard touchdown as a quarterback? Right. It doesn't happen, you know? So it's like if you can find pieces to put around him, I'm sure he would be fine. I mean, Sam Donald is a very good quarterback. In my opinion, I think he's still, he's still solid. But one thing to keep in mind is if you don't put guys in certain positions to be successful, they're not going to be successful. And then don't wonder why they're not successful because you haven't done your part and you haven't helped them out. Yeah, I I agree. Well, Marcus, I want to thank you for agreeing to speak with me today. Loved your input. I will definitely be coming back to you again. Absolutely, my man, anytime. Yeah. All right, my man, take care. Yeah, you too, man, again. My line's always open for you, bro. If you need help, just shoot me a text, and if you have any questions, you want advice, you want people to reach out to, I'm always here to help, all right? Always appreciate it. Thank you. Yep, all right, man. Take care. Yep, you too. Bye.